All right, this is part 10 of Rudolf Steiner's book, Anthroposophical Guidelines, also translated as Anthroposophical Leading Thoughts. I just finished leading thought number 139 and am beginning the next section, entitled Heavenly History, Mythological History, Earthly History, The Mystery of Golgotha. In the spatial cosmos, the universe and the earth's center stand in opposition. In the universe, the stars are, in a sense, quote, disseminated, close quote. From the earth's center, forces stream out to all directions of the universe. In the contemporary cosmic epoch, the brilliance of the stars and the earth's forces can only appear to man as the works of the divine spiritual beings with whom he is inwardly united. But a cosmic epoch once existed when the brilliance of the stars and the earth's forces were still the direct spiritual revelation of the divine spiritual beings. In his dim consciousness man felt the divine spiritual beings as being active in his being. Another epoch ensued. The starry heaven, as a physical entity, separated itself from divine spiritual activity. What one may call world spirit and world body arose. The world spirit is a multiplicity of divine spiritual beings. During the older epoch, they worked from the stars' positions down to the earth. What shone down from the vastness of the universe, what streamed as forces from the earth's center, were in reality the divine spiritual being's intelligence and will working on the earth and its humanity. During the later cosmic epochs, after the ancient Saturn and Sun evolutions, the divine spiritual being's intelligence and will remained ever more spiritually contained within them. Where they were originally actively present became world body, the harmonious configuration of the stars in space. Looking back on these things, from a spiritually appropriate worldview, one can say, from the original spirit body of the world's creative beings, the world spirit and the world body arose. And the world body shows in the configuration and movement of the stars how the intelligence and will of the gods once worked. But at the present cosmic time, what was once freely moving divine intelligence and will in the stars has become fixed and subject to laws. Therefore what today shines down to humanity on earth from the stars is not a direct expression of divine will and intelligence, but an inert symbol of what it once was in the stars. So, in the human soul's admiration for the formations of heaven's stars, one sees a past 
but not a contemporary revelation of the gods. But what is, quote, in the past, close quote, in the stars shining, is contemporary in the spirit world. And man lives in this contemporary world spirit. In respect to the formation of the world, one must look back to an old cosmic epoch in which world spirit and world body acted as a unity. One must then look at the middle epoch during which they evolved into a duality. And one must think into the future, the third epoch, in which the world spirit will again enfold the world body in its actions. For the old epoch, the constellations and the paths of the stars were not to be calculated, for they were the expression of the free intelligence and the free will of divine spiritual beings. In the future they will again be incalculable. Calculation is only meaningful for the middle cosmic epoch, and as it is for the constellations and the paths of the stars, this also applies to the forces streaming from the earth's center into space. What comes from the depths will be calculable. But everything strove from the older cosmic epochs toward the middle ones, in which space and time became calculable, and divine spirituality, as the revelation of intelligence and will, had to be sought behind the calculable. Only during this middle epoch were the conditions present in which humanity could advance from a dim consciousness to a clear, free self-awareness and to a free intelligence and will. A time had to come in which Copernicus and Kepler calculated the world body. For it was through the cosmic forces which accompanied this movement, excuse me, this moment, that human self-awareness had to develop. In the older age, this self-awareness was predisposed. Then came a time of such advancement that the universe was calculated. On the earth, history was acted out. It would never have happened had the universe's constellations and paths of stars not become fixed. In the history of Earth's evolution, there exists a mirror image, but a completely transformed one, of what was once heavenly history. More ancient peoples are still conscious of this heavenly history, and they look to it far more than to earthly history. In earthly history man's intelligence and will at first lived in association with the God's cosmic divine will and intelligence, then independently. In heavenly history live the intelligence and will of the divine spiritual beings directly related to humanity. Looking back at the spiritual life of peoples in the far distant past, a consciousness of togetherness 
and desire for togetherness with the divine spiritual beings existed within humanity to the extent that their history was heavenly history. When they told of their origins, they didn't mean earthly events, but cosmic ones. Even in relation to their own time, it seemed to them that what was happening in the earthly environment was unimportant compared to the cosmic events. And it was these latter to which their attention was directed. An epoch existed in which man's consciousness viewed heavenly history in powerful impressions in which the divine spiritual beings themselves stood before him. They spoke, and the people heard the speech in dream inspiration. They revealed their forms, and the people viewed them in dream imagination. This heavenly history, which filled human souls for a long time, was followed by mythical history, which is often taken today to have been poetic versions. They conjoined heavenly history with earthly history. For example, heroes appeared, superhuman beings. They were beings who stood higher in evolution than man, who at a certain time had only developed up to his sentient soul. The hero, however, had already developed what in man will one day be the spirit self, The hero could not directly incorporate within earthly conditions. He could, however, do so by immersing himself in a human soul and thus be capable of acting as a human among humans. These were the initiates of ancient times. The people in the continuing epochs did not actually think of them in this way. Rather, the things which occurred between the more spiritually incalculable and the physically calculable world underwent changes. What is certain, however, is that long after conditions had changed, the consciousness of one people or another held fast to a world view which corresponded to a much earlier reality. At first this happened in a way that human consciousness, which had not kept up with cosmic events, really saw the past. Then came a time when the ability to see faded away, and the past was only retained through tradition. Thus during the Middle Ages an interjection of the heavenly world into the earthly world was still traditionally retained, but no longer seen because the force behind the capacity to see in pictures no longer existed. And on earth the various peoples evolved in such a way that they held fast to one or another world view so that different world views existed alongside each other, which in essence were successive ones. But the difference in world views was not only due to this, but also because the different peoples, according to their natures, saw different things. The Egyptians 
saw the world in which there were beings who prematurely ended their evolution and never became human beings. And they also saw man after his life on earth in all that associated him with those beings. The Chaldean people saw more how outer earthly spiritual beings, good and evil, entered earthly life in order to be active there. The very long duration of heavenly history was followed by mythological history, which was shorter, but compared to later actual history, nevertheless lasted for a long time indeed. As I have already explained, in his consciousness man abandoned with difficulty the old visions in which gods and men were conceived of as acting together. Thus, quote, actual earth science, close quote, has existed since the unfolding of the comprehension or sensitivity soul, also called the consciousness soul. Man thought in the sense of what previously existed. Only when the first germs of the consciousness soul evolved did man begin to conceive of history proper. And aside, I mentioned comprehension or sensitivity, so forgive me, but I've forgotten which one that is. Um, so I'm not sure if that's the consciousness soul or the intellectual soul. End of aside. And in what has been detached from divine spirituality and become human spiritual history can be experienced by man as free intelligence and free will. Thus the development of the world in which man is engrossed runs its course between the fully calculable and the activity of free intelligence and free will. The evolution of the world manifests itself in all the intermediate nuances of both. Man lives his life between birth and death in a way that unfolds in the calculable, the physical foundation for the creation of his inner divine spiritual free incalculability. His life, between death and a new birth, runs its course in the incalculable, in a way, however, that in the interior of his divine spiritual being the calculable unfolds in thought. By means of this calculability he becomes the architect of his future earthly life. In history the calculable exists on earth, in which, however, the incalculable is contained, if only to limited degree. The Luciferic and Aramonic beings oppose the order between the incalculable and the calculable, established from the beginning by the divine spiritual beings united with humanity. They oppose their harmonization through, quote, measurement, number, and weight, close quote. Lucifer, by his very nature, cannot integrate anything which is calculable. His ideal is unconditional intelligence and will. This Luciferic tendency is appropriate to the cosmic order in areas in which free acts should reign. There Lucifer is the justified spiritual helper in human development. Without his help, 
freedom in human divine spirituality, which is built on the foundation of physical calculability, could not enter. But Lucifer would like to extend this tendency to the entire cosmos, and here his activity comes into conflict with the divine spiritual order to which man originally belongs. This is where Michael enters. He stands with his own being in the incalculable, but he effectuates a balance between the incalculable and the calculable, which he bears within him as the cosmic thought that he received from his gods. The Aramonic powers in the world are different. They are the complete opposite of the divine spiritual beings with whom man has been bound from the beginning. These divine spiritual beings are presently purely spiritual powers, who possess perfectly free intelligence and perfectly free will, but who, within this free intelligence and free will, conceive the wise insight of the necessity for the calculable, the unfree, as cosmic thought from whose womb man is to develop into a free being. And they are united to all that is calculable, to cosmic thought, with love. This loves streams out from them through the universe. The greedy lust and cold hate of the Aramonic powers for everything that promotes freedom is the antithesis of this. Araman strives to make everything that he streams out from the earth into universal space a cosmic machine. His ideal is exclusively, quote, measurement, number, and weight, close quote. He was called into the cosmos which serves human evolution because it was necessary for measurement, number, and weight, his field, to unfold. Only he who understands the world spiritually and physically in all its aspects truly understands it. This understanding must reach into nature in respect to such powers as the divine spiritual ones who work with love and the harmonic ones who work with hate. One must perceive the divine spiritual being's love active in nature's cosmic warmth that begins in springtime and increases toward summer. One must be aware of Araman's activity in winter's gusting frost. The appearance every year of this divine love is the time of remembrance, for the free element of God entered into the calculable element of earth with Christ. Christ acts in complete freedom in the calculable. He thereby renders harmless what lusts only for the calculable, the Aramonic. The event of Golgotha is the free cosmic deed of love in earthly history. It is only comprehensible by the love which humanity brings to this comprehension from the Gertianum Christmas, 1924. Guideline number 140.
cosmic events in which human evolution is interlinked and which in human consciousness reflects quote-unquote history in a broad sense is subdivided in the long-lasting heavenly history the shorter mythological history and in the relatively short earthly history number 141 presently these cosmic events are segregated into the incalculable activity of divine spiritual beings who create with free intelligence and will and the calculable occurrence of the world body number number 142 the luciferic powers stand opposed to the calculability of the world body the aramanic powers stand opposed to the creation of free intelligence and free will number 143 the event of golgotha is a free cosmic deed which descends from universal love and can only be grasped through human love. Next subsection. What is revealed when one looks back at repeated earth lives? When spiritual cognition can look back at a person's previous earth lives, what is revealed is that a number of such earth lives existed in which the human being was already an individual. Outwardly he was similar to today, and he had an inner life which contained individual characteristics. Earth lives appear which indicate when the comprehension or sensitivity soul existed, and I believe that is the intellectual soul, but not yet the consciousness soul and other lives when only the sentient soul had evolved, and so forth. In the earth's historical ages this is the case, and it was the case for a long time previously as well. But one also perceives ages when this was not yet the case. There one finds man still interlinked in his inner life, and outer formation with the world of divine spiritual beings. Man existed as earthly humanity, but was not yet separated from divine spiritual being, thinking, and willing. In still older times man completely disappears as a separate entity. Only divine spiritual beings exist who bear humanity in their fold. Man has passed through these three stages of his evolution during his time on earth. The transition from the first to the second stage took place toward the end of Lemuria, from the second to the third during the age of Atlantis. Just as man carries his experiences as remembrance within him in his current earthly life, he also carries within him as cosmic memory everything that he experienced as described above. What is earthly soul life? The world of remembrances, which is prepared at every moment to perceive anew. Man lives out his inner earthly existence in this interaction of remembering 
and new experiences. But this inner earthly existence could not unfold if cosmic remembrance did not still now exist in man when he looks back spiritually to the first stage of his becoming an earthly being, in which he had not yet been separated from divine spiritual being. From what happened at that time, only what develops within the human nervous sensory organization still exists. In outer nature, all the forces which were then active have died out and are only perceptible as dead forms. Thus, what exists in human thought as contemporary revelation is the necessary basis for earthly existence. What had already developed before he attained to an individual earthly existence. In life between death and a new birth, man experiences this stage ever anew. Only he also brings his individual existence, fully formed during his lives on earth, into the world of divine spiritual beings, which again takes him in, the same world which once included him in it. Between death and a new birth, he is in the present. But at the same time, he is in all the time which he has passed through in repeated earth lives and repeated lives between death and new births. It is different in respect to his world of feeling. This world is related to the experiences which occurred directly after those which he had before he became completely human. These are the experiences he passed through as a human being, but when he had not yet separated from divine spiritual being, thinking, and willing. At present man could develop no world of feeling if it did not arise on the basis of his rhythmic organization, in which the cosmic memory of the above-mentioned second stage of human evolution exists. Thus in man's world of feeling, his spiritual present works together with his experiences from an older time. In the life between death and a new birth, man experiences the content of the time here described as the outer boundary of his cosmos. What the stars in heaven are for man in his physical earth life spiritually is his being in the life between death and a new birth, which lies between his complete solidarity with the divine spiritual world and his separation from it. There at the, quote, boundary of the world, close quote, the physical heavenly beings do not appear to him, Rather, on every star, the sum of the divine spiritual beings who are, in reality, the star. Let me read that, those two sentences again. What the stars in heaven are for man in his physical earth life, spiritually, is his being in the life between death and a new birth which lies between his complete solidarity with the divine spiritual world 
and his separation from it. There, at the boundary of the world, the physical heavenly bodies do not appear to him. Rather, on every star, the sum of the divine spiritual beings, who are in reality the star. With the will alone, not associated with feeling and thinking, man lives in what his observed earth lives reveal to be personal and individual. What comes from the outer cosmos as his outer form is preserved as cosmic remembrance. It lives in the human form as forces. They are not directly the will's forces, but what constitutes the foundation of the will's forces in the human organization. In life between death and a new birth, this area lies outside the boundary of the world. Man thinks of it there as something he will regain in his new earth life. In his nervous, sensible organization, man is today still united with the cosmos, as he was when he was still germinally developing within divine spirituality. In his rhythmical organization, man still lives today in the cosmos as he did when, although already existing as human, he was not yet separated from divine spirituality. In his metabolism limbs organization, the basis for the development of his will, everything he passed through since the beginning of his personal, individual earth lives and the lives between death and new births produce after-effects in this organization. From the forces of the earth, man only has what bestows self-consciousness. The physical, corporal foundation for this self-consciousness also derives from the earth's activity. Everything else in the human being is of outer earthly, cosmic origin. The feeling and thinking astral body and its etheric physical foundation, all the active life elements in the etheric body, even the chemically reacting elements in his physical body, have an outer earthly origin. Strange as it may sound, the active physical chemical elements in the human being do not derive from the earth. That man develops these outer earthy cosmic elements within him is due to the activity of the planets and the other stars. The sun through its forces brings all these developments to the earth. The human cosmic is transferred by the sun to the earthly domain. Through the sun man lives on the earth as a heavenly being. Only what transcends his own development, namely the capacity to reproduce, is a gift of the moon. Of course, these are not the only effects of the sun and moon. Other highly spiritual activities also originate in them. When at Christmas time the sun acquires ever more forces for the earth, it constitutes the rhythmically manifesting yearly activity 
in the physical earth, which is an expression of the spirit in nature. Human evolution is a single element in a virtually gigantic cosmic year. This is evident from the preceding explanations. In this cosmic year, the cosmic Christmas is where the sun not merely affects the earth through the spirit of nature, but where the sun's soul, the Christ spirit, descends to the earth. As in the individual, what is personally experienced is associated with cosmic remembrance. Christmas is correctly felt by the human soul every year if the heavenly cosmic Christ event is thought of as continuous and is not merely human but as cosmic remembrance. Not only man but also the cosmos celebrates the descent of Christ at Christmas. From the Gertianum New Year, 1925, an aside, personal aside, today in fact is New Year's Day, uh, 2010, as I read this. End of aside. Guideline number 144. When one looks back at the repeated earth lives of a person, they arrange themselves in three different stages. The oldest, in which man was not yet an individual, but existed germinally in divine spirituality. One does not find a human being when looking back, but divine spiritual beings, parenthesis, the ur-forces, archai, close parenthesis. Number 145. Then comes an intermediate stage, in which man already exists as an individual being, but is not yet separated from the thinking, willing, and being of the divine spiritual world. He did not yet have his present personality, was not yet completely his own being in his existence on earth, and was not yet separated from the divine spiritual world. Number 146 The third stage emerges as the present. Man experiences himself in his human form as detached from the divine spiritual world, and he experiences the world as the environment which he confronts personally and individually. This stage began during the age of Atlantis. Beginning of subsection, entitled, What is revealed when, between death and a new birth, one looks back into previous lives? Part 1 in the previous contemplation, human life in its entirety was followed with emphasis on successive earth lives. The other viewpoint which can shed more light on what the previous one reveals is the contemplation of successive lives between death and a new birth. It also shows that the substance of these lives, as they are now, only goes back to a certain point of time in the Earth's evolution. This substance is determined by the fact that one carries through the portal of death the inner force of self-consciousness acquired during his Earth life. It enables him to stand as a complete individuality amidst the divine spiritual beings. During a preceding period this was not 
the case. At that time man was still not very advanced in the development of his self-consciousness. The forces acquired on earth were not sufficient to disconnect him from the divine spiritual world and to have an individual existence between death and a new birth. This doesn't mean that man found himself in the divine spiritual beings, rather within their sphere of activity, to the extent that his will was essentially their will and not his own. Before that period, another existed, in which when, looking back at it, one does not find man as he is in his contemporary soul constitution, but in the world of divine spiritual beings, in which man existed in a germinal stage. Those beings are the primal forces, or archai. Therefore, when tracing back the life path of one individual, not one divine spiritual being is encountered, but all who belong to that hierarchy. The will that man shall come into being lives in these divine spiritual beings. All of them participate in the will that each human individual shall come into being. The cosmic objective of their choir-like cooperation is the genesis of the human form. For man still lived without form in the divine spiritual world. It may seem odd that the whole choir of divine spiritual beings should work for one human being. However, even earlier, the exousiae, dunamis, curiotities, thrones, cherubim and seraphim hierarchies worked in this way during the ancient moon, sun and Saturn stages in order that man could come into being. What originated earlier, on Saturn, Sun and Moon, a kind of pre-human, did not possess a unified form. Pre-humans existed who were organized more according to the limbs system, others more according to the breast system, again others who were organized according to the head system. They were really human beings. They are described here as pre-humans, in order to differentiate them from the later stages, when the balanced confluence of all the systems appeared in the human form. The differentiation of those prehumans goes much further. One can speak of heart people, lung people, and so on. The primal forces hierarchy considered that its mission was to integrate those prehumans whose soul lives still corresponded to their one-sided forms, into the general human form. They took over humanity from the hands of the exousiae, who had already, in thought, created a unity from human multiplicity. However, for the exousiae, this unity was still an ideal form, a cosmic thought form. The archai shaped the etheric form, but in such a way that it contained the forces for the development of the physical form. 
Observation of these occurrences reveals something wonderful, that the human being is the ideal and the objective of the gods. But this observation cannot be the source of vanity and pride, for each can only take credit for what he has made of himself in his earth life with self-consciousness, and this, expressed cosmically, is little compared to what the gods have achieved from the macrocosm, which they are, as the basis of his selfhood, as microcosm, which he is. The divine spiritual beings face each other in the cosmos. The visible expression of this stance is the shape of the star-filled sky. They wanted to create as a unity in humanity what they are altogether. In order to correctly understand what the hierarchy of the Archai accomplished in their choir when they created the human form, one must realize that there is a great difference between this form and the human physical body. The physical body is composed of physical chemical processes. These take place in contemporary man within his human form. But the form itself is spiritual through and through. To perceive with our physical senses in the physical world something spiritual as the human form should be a solemn experience. Let me read that again. To perceive with our physical senses in the physical world something spiritual as the human form should be a solemn experience. For someone who can see spiritually, this means seeing in the human form a true imagination that has descended to the physical world. If one wishes to see imaginations, he must pass over from the physical world to the next lying spiritual one. Then he will realize how the human form is related to these imaginations. When observing life between death and a new birth, human spiritual vision finds the genesis of the human form as the first period. At the same time, the deep relationship between man and the hierarchy of the Archai is revealed. In this period, one can have an inkling of the difference between earth life and life between death and a new birth. Namely, the hierarchy of the Archai works creating the human form in rhythmical epochs. During one period, it directs the thoughts which guide the individual wills more toward the outer earthly cosmos. During another one, it looks down upon the earth. And from the concurrence of what comes from the outer earthly cosmos and what is stimulated from the earth, the human form is structured, which constitutes the expression of the fact that man is simultaneously an earthly and an outer earthly cosmic being. The human form described here as the creation of the hierarchy of the Archai embraces not merely man's, the external outline, and the surface formation as determined by the skin, but also the formation of forces in his posture, in his capacity for movement corresponding to earthly conditions, and in the capacity to use his body 
as the expression of his inner self. That man can insert himself with upright posture in the earth's gravity, that he can freely move with equilibrium in this gravity, that he can wrest his arms and hands from gravity and use them freely, this and much more that is surely within him but is nevertheless formative. All this man owes to the creative acts of the hierarchy of the archai. All this was prepared in the life between death and a new birth, which one can also call this period. Preparations were made so that in the third period, in our present time, man himself has the capacity during his life between death and a new birth to work on this formation for his earthly existence. Given at the Gertianum uh, on the new, in New Year, 1925. Guideline number 147. Life between death and a new birth also indicates three periods. In the first, man lives entirely in the hierarchy of the archai. His future human form for use in the physical world is prepared by them. Number 148. The archai prepare the human being in order that he can later develop his free self-consciousness. For this self-consciousness can only be developed in beings who through the form thus created and from an inner impulse of the soul embody it. Number 149. This shows how the kernel of human attributes and forces which manifest themselves in our time were predisposed during ages long past, and how the microcosm grows out of the macrocosm. That's the end of part 10 of the reading. I'm on page 80 of the ebook. The next section will be part 2 of this, uh, which was entitled What is Revealed When Between Death and a New Birth One Looks Back into Previous Lives.